folks, this is Pastor Mike Hoggard coming to you from Watchman Studios with another Watchman video broadcast. This is actually another special edition of the Watchman broadcast. We are reporting on the Mutual UFO Network, otherwise known as MUFON 2023, held in Cincinnati, Ohio, or Covington, Kentucky, depending on which side of the river you're on. The background you see here is from uh, that convention center. And again, there was, there was so much going on there. I was going back and forth between trying to listen to some of the speakers, to going back to the table, to hear, uh, to, to find out what's going on there, and maybe to talk to some people that uh, we were giving our videos to. And... Um, it was just busy for those, for those days. Uh, last time, we reported on basically the first day and the most significant event that really stuck out in my mind. If you've seen the first part uh, of this video series, uh, this, the event that really stuck out in my mind was the lady who introduced this idea that the um, Unitarian religion is the only religion where everybody loves everybody because that was sort of the... Um, Oh, how can I put it? It was the slap on the wrist that I got from this lady when I said that in Unitarianism, you basically have the idea that all the religions are valid, they're all good, and, and God is in all of those religions. All religions are, are basically the same. And I said, but that doesn't really work because these religions like Christianity, and Judaism and Islam. Well, let's let's just say it like this: the um, uh, the 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 Jews don't like us Christians. Um, the Muslims don't like us Christians, and they don't like the Jews. And so, us Christians are supposed to love everybody. And yes. There are a significant number of true born-again Christians who genuinely love those who are of the Muslim faith and those who are of the Jewish faith, but we love them enough to want them to know the truth that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is the only way to God the Father. And of course, Islam says, Allah had no son. Yes, but, and, and the Jews don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. We, of course, do. So the idea that they all get along and that all religions are valid just doesn't work. And I try to convey that. And the lady said, well, we have to love one another. We have to love everybody. And that's what kind of started that whole process of me looking into Unitarianism. And, and basically, let me say this. <clears throat> I don't know if I made it as clear as I possibly could in that first video. Generally... In the UFO network, all the people, let's say, in America, and maybe even around the world, I don't know, I just know American UFO people, they have this general belief that everything in the universe is one. It's all one thing. Uh, Edgar Mitchell, he always uh, signed his name, Six Man to Land on the Moon. And he was the sixth man to land on the moon. Um, on, on the way back from the lunar surface, they have about a three-day trip, three days there, three days back. 
And on the three days back, there's not a whole lot to do like there is getting ready to go to the moon. And so Edgar Mitchell has some time and he's staring out the window of Apollo, I think it's Apollo 14. He's staring out the window and he's looking at the stars in a much clearer way than you and I could have even possibly dreamed. And he has what is called a samadhi experience. The samadhi, basically it's a Hindu word, a Sanskrit word, I think. And um, what he meant by that was it dawned on him that, of course, he is an evolutionist. He believes that uh, we as a species, as human beings, came from absolutely nothing but this solid thing of matter at the Big Bang. So his reasoning was that his molecules and atoms that made up his body actually came from all of the other atoms and molecules that exist everywhere in the universe so that technically the atoms of his body were one and the same with the atoms of everything else that exists all over the universe. So in essence, he then had this experience, and it was a spiritual experience. And when I say spiritual, I don't mean that he just had a religious experience. What I mean is a spirit gave him this new awareness, this new understanding, his his vibrational, uh, his vibrations increased to a higher vibration. That's new age term. His, um, his consciousness, and this is what we're going to talk about today, his consciousness was elevated to a higher realization that he, Edgar Mitchell, as the sixth man to walk on the moon, was basically one with everything that is, including whatever God is. So in essence, he believed, he's dead now, now he knows the truth. Unfortunately, it's too late. But he believes that he is one and equal with whatever, Ever God turns out to be, Edgar Mitchell is one with God, and God is one with Edgar Mitchell. And I'm not sure if he believes uh, what a lot of uh, UFO people believe, that he will be reincarnated to a higher form or anything like that. But I can tell you, bottom line is, the UFO movement in general in this country, those who... Uh, favor the UFOs, they favor the aliens coming to this world to bring us all to a higher awareness, a higher form of, here's that word again, consciousness. We're going to talk about that. They believe that all of these, all, all of the UFO events and all of the alien uh, abductions and everything like that all fit in with a, a plan to bring mankind to a higher awareness. Most, most UFO people 
people who study UFOs, people who investigate UFOs, people who read everything they can read about UFOs. They attend UFO conferences and things like that. That's generally, if it's, it's almost like UFOism is its own religion because that's, in essence, what they believe. You could equate UFOism and the, and the religious principles behind UFOs uh, and those who believe in UFOs with basically Eastern mysticism. And they are very, very closely related. Now, uh, here's, the, um, here's the poster for this year's conference, uh, MUFON 2023 uh, Symposium. And the, the theme of it this year was Friend or Foe 2.0. Now, I'm not sure what the 2.0 is. Maybe probably in the past they dealt with this issue of whether they were friend or foe. But basically, that what they did was they lined up a, a, a list of speakers that they knew that some of them would be in the friend category and a couple of them in the foe category. Now, I didn't listen to every speaker, but I looked at the list and, the, and some of the people that I knew and I would have to say that for the most part, it seemed like that more of the speakers were on the friend column rather than the foe column. In other words, they believed that these, and I'm going to use the term like I did last time, aliens equals angels. All right? So if I say aliens, I'm talking about angels and I'm not talking about Gabriel and Michael and the good angels. I'm talking about evil ones, okay? Malicious ones. Those who have, those who are going to be part of the third of the angelic realm that is going to end up getting kicked out of heaven as we see in Revelation 6 at the opening of the sixth seal. So anyway, most, and I'll say most of the speakers, I believe, believed that the UFO people, the aliens, were friends and not foes. There may have been a couple. Certainly, if they would have asked me to speak this year, I would have been in the foe column. And I did express that to anybody that came to our table that wanted to talk to me. And I said, well, you know, the theme this year is friend or foe. And I said, I suppose you would have to put me in the foe column because of you know, what I know from the Bible, these things are and, and what they represent. I don't think they're here for mankind's benefit. I think that they have their own agenda. And it's not for the betterment of mankind, but they want mankind to think that it's for man's betterment, but it's not. So anyway, the idea was friend or foe this year. And um, it, if if I'm wrong about the majority of the speakers being in the friend column, I'm definitely not wrong when it comes to the vendors that were there. Different uh, vendors who, who had different things to sell, whether it was shirts or whether it was books or uh, coffee or some guy did, and it was amazing. He, uh, he did these 3D printings of different uh, things related to like UFOs, things like that. And he had a dragon and he gave me one. It was a 3D printed dragon and I don't know how in the world he did it, but it was all, it was all one piece 
and yet the the dragon skeleton bent and moved and things like that. And it was just like, I'll, I'll have to show it to you next time. But it was just amazing. But I would say that the majority of the vendors that were there, and, and probably the majority of the people who came to listen, would be putting the aliens and the UFOs on the friend column as opposed to foe column. So I know I'm there in enemy territory trying to get across the idea that these are not our friends. They're not here for the betterment of mankind. They are here for the destruction of mankind. And I believe that God has written this down in his word. In fact, the verse that that came to me today uh, concerning today's topic, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, and something that Paul said that just boy, it just got my attention. I've read this several times. I've used it in several videos that I've made. But let me read this part. Now, we beseech you, brethren, this is 2 Thessalonians 2.1, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about this. We have the aliens coming, and then we have Christ coming. Do you think that Christ is leading the aliens to this world and and telling the aliens, all right, make this place a better world, would you? Because, I mean, I've tried and they just, they're not doing it. So why don't you guys take a a, a crack at it and see if you can make human beings a little bit better than they are now. You think that's, no, I don't either. But he's coming. And when he comes, he says, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together together, unto him. So think of it like this. Christ is coming and just like the parable of the wheat and the tares. The tares are gathered first and that is the evil angels, aliens, whatever you want to call them, are going to join everybody together like you know, like harvesters taking all this, these wheat stalks or these tear stalks and binding them together in bundles. Because you can tell the difference now that harvest is here. And then taking the wheat bundles, binding them together and putting them in the garner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have two gatherings, the gathering of the evil, gathering of, of those who belong to Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 2 that you be not soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled. And troubled is a word related to tribulation. Look it up. Look up every occurrence of the word tribulation. And in several cases, you'll see the word troubled. Or be troubled, neither by spirit. So don't let spirits trouble you. Because they do. They do a good job of it. Nor by word, nor by letter, as from us. So the guy that came to me and said, hey, you know, they found new manuscripts of like Moses that Moses wrote and, and, uh, and the church has been suppressing them and they have new commandments in there. And, and No, I've not heard of that. But even if I had heard of it, I, I would reject it. 
nor by word, nor by letter asked from us, is that the day of Christ is at hand. And then here's, here's what's been on my mind this morning. Let no man deceive you by any means. And that's basically uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, one of the speakers that when um, we were preparing to go uh, to MUFON, I kept looking at the list of speakers that they had, and I'm going... Yeah, I want to hear these guys speak, because some of these I've heard several times before. The one I'm going to talk about today is a man by the name of Grant Cameron. He is known as a UFO historian, and um, you can go on YouTube and type up Grant Cameron. You can, he's got, oh man, hundreds of videos out there where he does, uh, he does speaking engagements at UFO conferences all over the world. Um, he does uh, podcasts for various people. He has his own podcast, I think, uh, that goes out every week. And um, Grant Cameron basically is a guy, and I'll, uh, to, to his credit, the guy's got a mind like a steel trap. Okay, I mean, he, he remembers and can recall so much information. Um, the guy definitely is plugged into the whole of the, uh, of the UFO, I don't know if you call it a UFO syndrome or whatever, but he's plugged into it pretty deep. There isn't much that goes on in the area of UFOs or alien contact or anything like that. There isn't much that he doesn't at least research and know something about and is able then to adequately speak on that subject, giving out, of course, his own ideas and his own theories. And one of the things about him, he's Canadian, so he has a, a Canadian accent. He doesn't have a bout. He has a boat. Okay? And, um, but anyway, he speaks 100 miles an hour. I mean, he just talks and talks and talks and talks. And it's almost like he can go on stage... And they just, they just like, like a spinning top, they just pull the string and they turn Grant Cameron loose and he spins for like three hours and he talks on everything under the sun, doesn't have a note in the world sometimes, and it is a very, very uh, enlightening talk that he gives. And I was expecting, I guess, something new out of him that I personally had not already heard, um, but that's not what I got. I have already heard him speak on the subject that he spoke on, uh, but that didn't bother me because I, I sat and listened to him. Uh, I think I audio recorded part of it just for my notes and, and things like that. And um, But basically, he gave out his idea that a, a few years ago, he decided that he wasn't going to uh, investigate UFOs or UFO contact or UFOs landing or anything like that or, or human encounter with UFO. He decided that he was going to change the nature of his investigation and the things that he looked into. And basically what he changed into was he became a student of human consciousness because he said that human consciousness has everything to do 
with whether or not mankind is going to accept any kind of help or make any kind of agreement or have any kind of meaningful contact with the UFOs and, remember, aliens are angels, evil angels. So he says that basically if man's going to have any kind of, uh, of relevant, good contact, if, if these are going to be friends, which was the, the point of the symposium, then people had to have their consciousness raised. And I'll explain what that means in a minute. To the point to where they accept the aliens, angels, as friends instead of foes. Um, he got his start back in the early 70s. He was somebody, he was going to, uh, he was going to university and uh, I don't remember, what, he may have been studying like political science or something like that. And he had no interest in UFOs whatsoever until an event called Charlie Red Star happened. Now, I have not heard of this until I started looking into Grant Cameron's life. When I saw what it was, I knew how significant it was. Grant Cameron became involved in ufology as the Vietnam War ended in May 1975 with personal sightings of a UFO object which locally became known as Charlie Red Star. Now, I, I couldn't find out what that meant. I think the Charlie part is like how like military people use the letter C. Uh, yeah, this is Alpha Tango Charlie Charlie Tango. Okay, so the C must be relevant for some reason. I don't know. The Red Star obviously would be uh, depicting what the UFO itself or the series of UFOs look like. They look like red stars. So somebody came up with the phrase Charlie Red Star. All right. But anyway, Cameron heard about this and then he saw it. So uh, they became locally known as Charlie Red Star. You see that Grant Cameron finally wrote a book about it. True reports of one of North America's biggest UFO sightings. The sightings occurred in Carmen, Manitoba, about 25 miles north of the Canada-U.S. border, which is probably why you and I didn't hear so much about it, because it didn't happen in the United States. And let's be honest, us Americans, if it don't happen in America, we don't know that it doesn't happen, okay? I mean, that's just how we are as Americans. So this takes place just 25 miles north of the border, but in America, we're like, I've never heard of it before. But it was a significant event, and it wasn't a one-time event. It was an event that took place over days, and if I remember right, took place over weeks. There were multiple sightings. So that, and here's some pictures of, of remember, this is the early 70s. Nobody's carrying around iPhones at the time, okay? And there just happened to be some people who had cameras, and they took these two pictures, and I think there may be a couple more, but there's not much. The one on the lower uh, right-hand side really has my interest because I've seen videos of UFOs that look very, very similar to that. But anyway, what happened was when people started reporting that just about every night 
UFOs were being seen in and around this area. Well, naturally, it got people's curiosity up. They were going, man, I want to see one of these things. And what happened then was you had people who've got their cars all parked up and down the highway at certain spots where the, where the UFOs had appeared at, at a previous time. And everybody's sitting out in lawn chairs. They've all got like eight millimeter cameras and they've got, uh, you know, their, they've got their Polaroid cameras. They're going to take pictures, some with 35 millimeter cameras. Basically, you've got all of these people who are waiting on these UFOs to show up. And there was a couple occasions where it did happen. Thus, you know, that's where the pictures came from. But what's, what's funny to me is, is that when this event happens, apparently a Hollywood director who was gathering all the stories he could about UFOs for a movie that he was going to make, actually used this event, Charlie Red Star, and he wrote it up as a scene in his movie about UFOs, and you may have heard of it, called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Here's the scene. Do you remember the scene where... Uh, Roy Neary and the little boy and his mom, uh, they're out here on this, on this road and there's this, there's this, uh, this farm family uh, with these two girls and a mom and this, their big dad. You know, he's a, he's a uh, I think he's passed on now, but he was a very good Hollywood character actor. Uh, but anyway, um, after this night occurred, the next night you have all these people sitting out. You've got these old people eating, you know, playing cards, eating Kentucky Fried Chicken. If you haven't seen the movie, go see it. Uh, and if you have seen the movie and you can watch it again, go watch it again. Because that scene of Charlie Red Star and all these people gathering along the side of the road actually happened. And Steven Spielberg wrote about it and put it uh, in his movie. Now, the MUFON write-up on Grant Cameron said this, these sightings, the Charlie Red Star sightings and so on, led to a decade of research into the early work done by the Canadian government into the flying saucer phenomenon. From here, Cameron proceeded to do almost two decades of research into the role of of the President of the United States and intelligence officials in the UFO mystery. So basically, you know, everybody that's in the UFO movement, they have their own particular field of study. Uh, in other words, there's some people who study UFOs and aliens that focus on the moon. They believe that there are bases on the moon, uh, I have seen some of the pictures that they purport to be uh, buildings of different kinds and so on. And I'll be honest with you, they're so grainy and blurry that I, I, I just, you know, I, I'm just like, man, I don't know if I can see that or not. However, I have seen with the advent of some of the newer cameras that are out on the market now, the, the Nikon P1000 and others, whose um, lens is so good, it's able to pick up very, very close shots of the moon. Uh, 
and there are people who basically aim their cameras at the moon almost every night, and there are video images of objects flying, landing on the moon, coming up from the surface of the moon, flying around the moon. I can't discount that. I don't know exactly what it is, but I can't discount it. But anyway, you got some people who look at the moon angle. There's some people who, uh, who investigate the sun and they think that there's UFOs that are draining energy from the sun. There's people who look at Mars images and see UFOs there. There's some people dealing with, uh, uh, with alien contact, some dealing with abductions, some dealing with uh, just all kinds of different things. Well, Grant Cameron basically decided to study, for whatever reason, the, the history of how uh, the UFO movement affected various presidents of the United States. Now, why he as a Canadian was focused on America, I don't know, but that's just what his interest was. He wrote several books, and like I said, he is one of the top um, speakers that there is. In other, in other words, if somebody decides to have a UFO conference and they can get Grant Cameron to come and speak at this conference, they know that there's going to be a lot of people show up to hear him talk. He's just that popular. And if you watch some of his videos, and I want to encourage you that if you watch his videos and you watch some of his speeches, be careful. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. But anyway, he's written books, Triangles, Aliens, and Messages, uh, one called The Portals and UFOs of Mount Shasta. Grant Cameron, along with Paula Harris, I've talked about her before. She is an American and an Italian. She speaks very fluent Italian, and she writes for a UFO magazine in Italy. She uh, worked very closely with uh, Colonel uh, Philip Corso, uh, who uh, wrote the book The Day After Roswell. And uh, Paula Harris had an event that took place on Mount Shasta. For some reason, Mount Shasta seems to be like a UFO chick magnet. There's a lot of creepy stuff that happens on and around Mount Shasta. And Paula Harris was there. I think Grant Cameron was there. But anyway, at one point, they, these people were all meditating. And that, to me, that's just, you're, you're basically telling the world these are devils. Because if you're going to get in contact with some race that is from outer space, from another planet, normally we would be trying radio signals. We would be trying CBs or whatever. Hey, good buddy, what's your handle there? Uh, but the way, according to them, the way to contact ET is the exact same way that people contact familiar spirits. You go into a trance, you empty your mind, and you wait for these alien presence to contact you and now you've got a channel open because your mind is a void. Basically, in Bible terms, you've lost sobriety. You're not sober anymore. You're drunk. 
you, you have an altered state of consciousness and you now are in contact with these beings. That should tell people something. But anyway, you've got all these people wadded up, you know, and they're doing transcendental meditation and they're doing all kinds of meditation forms and they're doing a Merkaba, which is what Stephen Greer does. Merkaba means chariot, just like in Ezekiel. But anyway, they, they contact these alien entities through meditation and there was one occurrence where Paul Harris was there. I think Grant Cameron might have been there. But all of a sudden, a shendra opens up. That's a, um, I think it's a Portuguese word. X-E-N-D-R-A, shendra. And this portal opens up. And then there is this great big tall Nordic, remember we talked about them last time, Nordic alien who is speaking in a language that no one can understand that's right out of Deuteronomy 28 and other places. And finally, the alien says, thank you, and he fades off, and then the bubble that he's in, the Shindra, which is a portal, it just shrinks down to nothing and is gone. Cameron knows this, and I am relatively sure that he probably has meditated the same way that Paul Harris has and others in order to get it. In fact, it, Paul Harris, um, uh, Whitley Strieber, who wrote Communion, uh, Grant Cameron, Stephen Greer, you name it. The top names in the UFO conference speaking arrangement all can contact these ships by way of meditation. Imagine that. So, and then, then here's another one. Contact modalities, the keys to the universe, Grant Cameron, and so on. And now, something that Cameron said that he's going to start doing, and he's done this already, he's going to shift his focus from investigating every UFO sighting that there is, because basically he said this. He said, once you investigate like a hundred UFO sightings and you see like 10 of them or a dozen of them, when somebody calls you and says, hey, man, we just saw a UFO, you know, last night out at our house. We need somebody to come out and investigate it. Grant Cameron's like, I've already, I've already seen these things. Okay. All right. I can already tell you more than likely you had one there and I hope you enjoyed the experience. In other words, the thrill's been gone. So he's decided to change the focus. Now, he's still dealing with UFOs and aliens, but he's decided to change the focus of his research. Instead of just going out and research every UFO contact and every alien contact and every abduction and all this, he's now investigating what he referred to as and what he calls consciousness. Now, what is consciousness and what does it have to do with UFOs and aliens? Okay, well, this is from, you know, the internet and this is just basically a definition of what consciousness is and I'll explain it in relation to the UFO movement or the UFO connection. Um... Number one, A, the quality or state of being aware, especially of something within 
one self. Now, let me just stop here. Do this little piece at a time. Um, John wrote in, in his letter, 1 John, um, he said, These things have I written you. Boy, that's, that's good there, 1 John. There we go. He said, These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? We, the, we've, old preachers used to call it a no-so salvation. Are you saved? Yes. How do you know? I just know so. I know, me personally know, that my sins have been forgiven. My name is written in the book of life. And I know this, and I'm aware of it, and I'm conscious of it because of what I read in the Scriptures, what I know the promises of God are. Uh, Here's one of them. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right here is the reason why I am not, nor will I ever be, a Roman Catholic. Roman Catholics don't believe that you can be forgiven by a priest of all unrighteousness. They believe that you must do some form of punishment, like praying. How did prayer become a punishment? That you have to perform some act of punishment and penance on your part so that your sins could be forgiven. But that's not found anywhere in the Bible. So I have a knowledge in me, and I am consciously aware of the fact that when I confess my sins to God, God forgives me of those sins, and I am forgiven. That's my consciousness telling me that. My consciousness has been raised to the level of, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. It's not just a belief with me. It is a knowledge. It it is a knowledge that surpasses and is above every other knowledge in the world. So when when the scientists tell us that the universe is is 13 billion uh, years old, I know for a fact that it's not. I know it for a fact. I know from reading the Bible that it couldn't be more than about 6,000 years old. Okay? I know that. So, whereas before a person is saved, they may think one thing about, about evolution or things like that, but when they are saved and they, they are given a new heart, a new mind, a new way of thinking, then their consciousness has changed. Their awareness of the world around them and the people around them and the, the, uh, the problem of sin and what to do about sin and how to get rid of sins and how that God will forgive you of all your sins. You become aware of that. I, I will, I'll never forget uh, Keith Crumb. Bless his heart. His two twin sons, they, you know, they tried different religions and so on. Finally, they start coming here to Bethel 
and their dads, uh, they, they, they're, at, they're at the ER, their dad's real bad sick. Um, we, we get to his hospital room from the ER and everybody leaves. And so I told his two sons to go get some lunch. I want to talk to their dad. I talked to Keith about 15 minutes about his soul. And I asked him, Keith, would you like to know you're going to heaven? He said, yes, I would. We prayed and God saved him for that moment. And not five minutes after that, the doctor came in, told him he had cancer and there probably wasn't anything they could do about it. Three days later, He's out of the hospital. His sons are taking him to get his medicine. And Keith says, boys, I don't know, I don't know how else to say this, but I feel like I've got someone living inside of me. And I'm just like, huh, amen. Hear this guy. He's a Christian for three days. Never read anything out of the Bible except what I gave him there in the hospital room. But he knows for a fact that Jesus is living inside of him. That's, that's consciousness. That is being aware of something. And that awareness came from the indwelling Word of God in him, the Holy Spirit. Um, back to this. The state or fact of being conscious of an external object, state, or fact. C, awareness, especially concern for some social or political cause. The organization aims to raise political consciousness of teenagers. The, the world right now is trying to make everybody aware that, oh my goodness, the earth is either the polar ice caps are going to freeze over or they're going to melt. We don't know which one it is, but we know we need to stop it. So they're, quote unquote, making everybody aware to take care of the earth. Children are being uh, programmed, mind controlled in their public school systems about the earth and about how evil guns are and, and how evil Christians are and things. And so these kids are growing up with this consciousness, with this awareness that Christianity is bad uh, and that we need to take care of the environment and, you know, everybody's going to be dead in 20 years if we don't do this and this and this. But anyway, that's what consciousness is. So in Cameron's view, let me continue reading this. The state of being or characterized by sensation, emotion, volition, and thought. The totality of conscious states of an individual. The normal state of conscious life. The upper level of mental life of which the person is aware as contrasted with unconscious processes. So basically, in, in the UFO setting, here's, here's how we'll put it. The, the consciousness and the awareness that Grant Cameron is researching, that he's speaking on, is basically everybody in the world at some point, and I believe this, that everybody in the world, regardless of their religion, regardless of their scientific background, regardless of what, um, what culture they belong to or whatever, everybody in the world is about to have a shift in their consciousness. They're about to have a knowing of things that have been, are, and will be. 
whether they believed in them in the past or not, there is going to be a paradigm shift. I'll explain that. A shift in consciousness and awareness that the UFOs are real, the UFOs are inhabited by beings, and that those beings are friends of our planet. And they're friends to mankind. And so they're here to make our lives better by giving us technology that they have that's going to enable man to live uh, for extended lengths of time, maybe even forever, that's going to allow mankind to be able to take himself from his home planet to planets way beyond Earth's solar system. Yes, that kind of consciousness, that kind of awareness. And so if you have people that don't believe that now, and if you sat down with them for hours and laid out all kinds of evidence, they, would, they still wouldn't believe it. One of these days, they're going to. Okay? So, why consciousness? Why is Grant Cameron so focused on this? Well, number one, why are there so many sightings of various, sometimes weird sizes and shapes of UFOs. Why are there, why are there, right now, it seems like there's an increase in the sightings, and there may well be, but definitely there's an increase in the number of videos, photos, recordings, whatnot, of UFOs. And why are they, why are they in so many different shapes? Why, why don't they all look like rockets? Or why don't they all look like saucers? Why don't they all look like you know, cigar-shaped things? Why, why, don't, why do they look weird in some cases where you can't define that? Okay, That's one of the questions. Why are there so many of them covered with bright lights? If they don't want us knowing that they're there, and they're here on some sort of um, a secret mission where they don't want to be caught... They don't want to be seen because that, you know, might break the prime directive. You know, we can't, we can't uh, interfere with the evolution of that society until they learn how to, you know, build warp drive themselves and so on. That's Star Trek, you know. But why are there so many of them covered with bright lights? And then comes the question of, you know, some of them have, have, have crashed. Some of them have left whole ships on this earth. Some of them have left pieces of the... These are all questions that Grant Cameron has asked. Why did they leave their ship here? Why did they leave it parked there for just, you know, the government to find it out? Why, why are they leaving uh, pieces of metal that cannot be made on this earth anywhere? Why are they doing these things? They're leaving everything from debris to entire ships. Why is it that they are leaving... What amounts to very complex patterns in wheat fields, rice fields, corn fields, in other words, crop circles. Grant Cameron calls it the wow factor. In other words, you'll have some people that are sitting out on their porch at night and they're just looking out at the stars. They live outside of the city so they can see the stars real well. And all of a sudden, they see these multicolored blinking lights 
and they're approaching them and the people on the porch are just going, look at that, look at that, look at that. And then it lands, you know, 50 yards away from their porch and they're starting to get scared a little bit and they, maybe they take a few pictures and take a video, very shaky video and the thing sits there for a while and then it zooms off again, which has happened. Why did they do things like that? Okay. Why, are, why is it that they want mankind to know that they're there? Well, let's go to the scriptures. So number one, why are there so many sightings of UFOs? I believe that they want mankind to know that one day, maybe soon, they are going to be the dominant apex species on this planet. They want man to know, here we are. We're coming, and when we come, we're going to take over. We're dazzling you right now with all the different shapes, with the, the ability that we have to just be sitting still and then just be gone instantaneously. We want mankind to know that we're coming and we're going to be in charge. Proverbs 28.2 For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. Psalm 119.161 Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. So two verses here. One of them is telling us the reason why, and, and we have to bring God into this. We can't just say, oh, these aliens, you know, they're coming and, and you know, even, not even God can do anything and it's going to change everybody's religion and everybody's going to freak out because their religion's no good and that's going to disprove God somehow. Do you think, you think God really has, is aware of some people that live, you know, a billion light years away that if they ever make it to earth, the show's over and nobody's going to believe in God anymore? Do you think God is worried about this? God is the one who's setting this up. God is the one who's in charge of this. So he says in his word, for the transgression of a land. And ask yourself this question. Is America a sinful nation? We're, we are evil. We are evil in this country. And it's not just our leaders either. It's the average American he is evil. He's a drunk. He's a dope fiend. He's a fornicator. He's a child molester. He's a homosexual. He's everything that God said don't do. That's, that's your average American right there. And God says, because of those transgressions, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send thousands upon thousands upon millions upon millions of principalities Remember who we wrestle against? Principalities and powers. That verse is talking about that. For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof. But then he says in Psalm 119, 
princes have persecuted me without a cause. So let's think about this. Is it possible that when these princes come, and remember, aliens equals angels, evil angels. When they come, do you think they're going to let Christianity grow? No, Christianity is going to point to the Bible and say, you guys are devils, and they don't want that. So princes have persecuted me without a cause. But while everybody else's consciousness is shifting toward the aliens as being our, our uh, ma mankind's gods and mankind's uh, uh, saviors, we are going to stand in awe. While everybody else is going, ooh, ah, look at those pretty lights. God's people are going, ooh, ah, look at these amazing verses that are in my Bible. Amen. Uh, the next one, bright lights. Why is it if these things are supposed to be stealthy and they don't want anybody to see them and things like that, do they, they why do they have such bright lights and shining and flickering and you know, moving around the thing. So you have to take notice of it. The truth of it is, they do want people to see it. That's how they're raising man's consciousness. Okay? So watch this. In Ezekiel chapter 1, when we see God's chariot made of cherubs and wheels coming to the earth, look at what it says. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures and the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning and the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. In other words, God's chariot has got lights on it, buddy. It is full of lights and fire and lightning and and God says, hey, you want to see, see something really cool? See that place over there three miles away? I can be there and back before you can say Mississippi. Okay, God, Mississippi, there he is. Okay? These things have lights on them because that's the way they were built, with gems and precious stones. Look at uh, Ezekiel 28. The description of the devil as he's as he is while he's in the Garden of Eden. Ezekiel 28, 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, and the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. There's ten of them here. And boy, do they catch people's eyes. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. You know, whenever I see that, I always think of close encounters of the third kind. Because not only did that mothership have all these lights shining all around it, okay? But how did they contact and make contact and speak back and forth between them and the humans? Music. They did it through music. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Oh, here's another one. Second Kings 2.11. 
And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. You remember the story where uh, Elisha and his servant Gehazi was, uh, was pinned down by all these uh, chariots. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. In other words, God's chariots, and here they are right here. What are they full of? Fire. And not like fire that's burning something up. Light fire. It's almost like they were fluorescent or LED or whatever. And the bright the brightness of this chariot and these horses circling about Elisha and his servant. The bright lights on the chariot made of fire and the horse of fire being almost like um, like neon lights or whatever shining brightly and Elijah steps on and this big lighted chariot takes him up into heaven. And I do. I, I like Matthew 24. You know, Jesus is going to send his angels with the sound of the trumpet to gather together his elect. I, I am. I am hoping that the angels that come get us are these lighted chariots. I do. I hope that. Okay? Because I, I, it's just a little bit of vanity in me, and I sure would like to be seen in one of those. Amen? Maybe that's too much vanity. Now, here's the big question that uh, I've heard so many wrong opinions on this. Um... One group, and I think Grant Cameron might have been part of this conversation, but if he wasn't, they were talking about things that that Grant Cameron talked about. Because the the question that I read earlier about these UFOs was, um, why did they leave ships behind? Why did they leave what looks like wreckage behind? Why don't they pick all that up and take it with them so mankind can't have access to it and, and quite possibly build something that is similar to that, okay? Well, uh, you know, some of the UFO people say, well, it's done on purpose. They want us to have these ships. They want us to, to learn, to figure out how they, how they uh, do everything so that, so that our conscious level, our awareness of what can be done and what's possible can be raised, okay? I don't believe that, but here's what I do believe. They do crash. Some people say that, and what's being said now from a lot of people is, how is it they can drive through a billion light years of space and never get a scratch, never peel the paint off, no dents on the bumpers, nothing like that, no headlights out, anything. They can travel all this distance, yet when they come to Earth, they crash. I don't get that. They don't get it. But the answer is real simple. The fact that God 
knows that when they come here, they have malicious intent. And so God thwarts whatever plan that they have. And he causes them to fall. Psalm 82, 6. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Which answers, this verse does a lot of things. It answers the question of what the sons of God were. If you're a son of God or a, or a child of the Most High, you're a God, little g. You're an angel. You're an immortal being that doesn't die. But then he says, verse 7, But ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. So that answers that question. And there's a double, there's a double witness of this in Ezekiel 28. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God. Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom. They shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. Wilt thou yet say before him that slayeth thee, I am God? But thou shalt be a man and no God in the hand of him that slayeth thee. And basically what Ezekiel 28 is saying here is very similar to what Psalm 82 is saying. Is that they come here, they want to be seen as gods. They are principalities. That's made clear by the fact that they shall fall like one of the princes. And I think that falling is a reference to the one-third of the angels cast out of heaven. They're falling out of heaven. Fallen angels, literally. But the bottom line is, the reason why there really was, I believe, a crashed ship at Roswell. There was another one um, not too far from there that they recovered. There's one in Brazil that they recovered. There are ships that seemingly are in perfect working order and ships that are badly damaged, but for some reason, they left them here. And God is saying, this is a real thing now. The princes have fallen, and the occupants of these UFOs Rather than being immortal, they're going to die just like men die. So in uh, the Roswell event, supposedly you had uh, two or three alien bodies that were taken away. Uh, Colonel Corso saw the bodies uh, while they were being transported from Roswell uh, up to um, Ohio to the Air Force Base up there. Um, and that sort of brought his mind to a new paradigm. The fact that, yes, we have been visited, the fact that these are not from the earth, the fact that they came from somewhere else and they crashed here and we have pieces of their ship and we have things that we don't know what they are, but we're going to try to find out what they are and how they work, and we're going to keep those secrets so that we have an advantage over all of our enemies like the Russians, the Chinese, or whoever wants to mess with us. Whoever wants total global dominance is going to have access to these machines and to the things that make them work. 
and it's all recorded for us there in the scripture. They do fall out of the sky and they do crash because God said so. You shall die like men and you shall fall like one of the princes. So that explains adequately to me why we would have retrieved crashed vehicles and retrieved bodies, both dead and alive. Okay, I'm satisfied with that answer because I believe the Bible. Now, if you don't believe the Bible, then what's going to happen to you is this. You're going to have a shift in your paradigm. You're going to have a shift or a change in your consciousness. Think of, and just go to Google Images and type in words like shift and new level and uh, new consciousness and just different things like that. You'll see that they're, they're marketing tools. Companies will use these, these ideas of what is going to happen to man and market using those things. A, a new level, a new understanding, a new knowing. Everything is about a paradigm shift. And, and basically what that is, is a, is a, a raising of your consciousness. Well, let's say, whereas you didn't, you just said, there is no such thing as no stupid Bigfoot. I wish you people would quit going off on all that stuff. It has no relevance whatsoever to anything. There is no Bigfoot anywhere. People, that's been proven. People make that up. And then you're out, you're out deer hunting one year. And one of them walks right underneath your deer stand. You're up in a tree stand. And one of them walks right underneath you. You smell the stench of it. It stops, turns, and looks at you. And your heart is like beating 100 miles an hour. Because you don't know if this thing's going to climb the tree and pull you out of it. You don't know if you should shoot the thing or what. But once it walks off, you sit there for a while and let that soak in. And now, you believe. You may not tell everybody. But you believe. You just had your whole worldview changed. Just like that. You just had your outlook, what you thought was real, what you thought was possible versus what you thought was impossible. Your, your cousin who's all the time trying to tell you about Bigfoot stories and you just hate it when he comes over. But now the next time he comes over, you're going to get him alone somewhere and you're going to have a little talk with him. What's happened? You've had a, a change in your consciousness, your awareness now of things that you used to think were not true. Now you know they're true. Things that you believe couldn't exist. Now you know they exist because you saw one. You, enact, you encountered one. There was an exchange there. You remember the smell of this thing. And you remember looking into this thing's eyes and seeing more human than beast in there. And that freaked you 
out so much that it made you sick to your stomach and you'll never forget that as long as you live. That's, that's the kind of stuff. And, and it doesn't have to, it's not limited to just the UFO phenomenon. It's not limited to just that. It is everything that the devil plans to do in this world from, I believe, falsifying and faking a, a rapture event. I think that's possible that the devil will falsify a rapture event, including the fact that I think the devil is going to be able to take people out of this world to a new world and thus establish a new world order. Now, I don't have time to get into that today, but I think it's possible. Definitely, if something like that occurred, that's going to shift everybody's consciousness. That is going to shift their paradigm and what it is that they believe is possible in this world. Okay? Here's, here's, uh, here's an instance in the Bible where God decided to change everybody's mind all at once. Numbers 21. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. The people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no bread, Neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. So, stop right here. Right now, their current level of consciousness is, we can complain about anything we want to with God. We can fuss and moan about eat, having to eat manna every day, about how there's no sure water source. Every time we go, we have to get water out of this rock. And what if that rock just doesn't give water one day? So they believe that they can murmur against God, murmur against Moses, and God's going to be okay with it. So what does God do? Verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We've just had a paradigm shift. We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. That's a paradigm shift. That's a change in consciousness. They didn't think that God could muster evil, devil, Serpents. But that's what they were. They were fiery serpents. The Bible telling us that they, that means that they were of the angelic realm. And as I'm sure people's like peeking out their tent and they're seeing these 
angelic fiery serpents going in people's tents and biting people and biting people out in the walkways and things like that. And they're closing the tent going, I, I, I don't believe what I'm seeing. I don't believe what I'm seeing. I'm going to close my eyes and make it go away. Go away, go away, go away. Open it up. Ah, you're still seeing it. Okay. And when they've had about half of their own family die, they start pleading with Moses. Okay, we get it now. We get it. We, we have, we have our, 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 our consciousness has been raised. Our vibrations have increased. Our paradigms have been shifted, Moses. Make it stop. And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Now we know, the, the um, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story uh, from John chapter 3, Jesus explained what it really meant as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And, um, boy, isn't it, isn't it a change in someone's awareness when they are presented with the God? See, Jesus is telling all this to Nicodemus, isn't he? And Nicodemus, up until now, doesn't know really who Jesus is, what he's here for. But as Jesus begins to explain to him what it takes to become part of the kingdom of God, Jesus said, you must be born again. Once he has that explained to him, I believe Nicodemus was born again. Now he has, whatever he thought of Jesus 15 minutes ago is not what he thinks of Jesus now. Okay, I love this. Man, I love this. So not only did God shift their paradigm back in the days of Moses, God is still changing men's hearts even today. People, God's not done saving people's souls. Remember that. Next time God lays it on your heart to witness to somebody, you do it. Who knows, but what you could say, the one thing that would absolutely change their mind on everything. I've seen it happen before. And buddy, it's a, it's a glorious sight. So, that's inter- Here, here's why I picked that particular story. Take a look at this. I've used this before, but it, I, it never ceases to amaze me. Dr. Stephen Greer is the ER doctor, the UFO believer. He's the, he is friends with UFO people. He's been on their ships, okay? And Stephen Greer practices Merkaba mysticism, which means that he gets in contact with chariots, UFOs. And he can call them down from heaven. He'll put out a call in meditation, and they'll come down and appear in various forms. In some cases, I've seen the videos where they form as these big amber lights off in the distance. There's two or three of them, and everybody's like, ooh, ah, oh, wow, you know, and cursing and everything like that because they're so fascinated by this. Now their consciousness has been raised. And then in this case here, we have a a close encounters of the fifth kind um, gathering together uh, initiated by Stephen Greer and his company. And all of a sudden now, someone takes a photograph of a flying, fiery 
serpent. And notice that it lands on this guy's forehead where his pineal gland is. And Greer said that this man actually had a kundalini experience. In other words, he had his pineal gland opened and he received all of this occult illumination. And now he thinks differently, he acts differently, his whole life has been altered, the way he thinks is different, food tastes different, I'm sure. Is there a chance that this guy is going to leave that and come to the gospel? Probably not. So that's the danger of it. And this is what Grant Cameron is all about. Is he's all about changing people's consciousness. And he's going to do it. Here's, here's another illustration of it. We have the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13. And when we look in verse 13, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of these miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. So the false prophet is going to raise everybody's consciousness. He's going to have great wonders that are going to take place and fire come down from heaven and all kinds of neato magic tricks and it's going to change everybody's consciousness and what they're aware of as being true and then they're going to believe that this image of the beast can speak and that it, it should be worshipped and it's going to be worshipped and anybody who doesn't worship it needs to have their head cut off they're going to be killed and oh, by the way, we got a mark we're going to put on everybody on the right hand or the forehead. And whereas of now, you can't get everybody to do that. But I guarantee you at this time, when the false prophet occurs, he's going to change everybody's consciousness. He's going to change everybody's paradigm. And they're going to believe now that taking this mark and persecuting saints is what the gods want them to do. And yes, I said the gods. Because that's that's who's coming. Um, and it, he does it. Satan always does it. Little steps at a time. In other words, you don't go from a complete non-believer to instantaneously having your third eye open, your consciousness now is is opened up and you now believe in aliens and you believe in UFOs and you, you know, all of this stuff. Does it one step at a time? Like, like here in Kundalini, the serpent starts out in the, the uh, bottom of your spine and coils up the 33 bones of your spine touches your pineal gland. Over here, it's the same way in the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry where the, the mason climbs a, the steps of 33 steps in order to become a 33rd degree mason. And by the time he gets to the top, by the time the serpent reaches pineal gland or the person attains to the top, he's had his whole paradigm shifted. It's not impossible, trust me, it's not impossible 
for men who are Masons to leave Masonry and become a Christian. It's not impossible. I know people have done it. Okay? And what a joy that is to see that. But generally speaking, someone who gets all the way to the top of Masonry, they just almost don't change from that because they've had their paradigm shifted. They've had their consciousness changed. They are now aware of a different set of rules and guidelines of a different gospel. They're aware of that. And let me, let me show it to you like this in the, in the UFO movement. We start out in 1947 with Kenneth Arnold, who sees these, they, they sort of look like boomerangs. The, they called them planform-shaped objects. Now, the news media called them flying saucers because Arnold said the way they were flying, it looks like, uh, it looks like um, saucers skipping across the top of the water. And so somebody in the news media referred to them as flying saucers. That's where the name came from, and it just stuck. But that's not what he saw. But basically, in 1947, he makes big news because he says he sees these things. And then not too long after that, we have the news coming out that, yes, the U.S. Army captured a flying saucer just not too far from Roswell, New Mexico. Then the next day they come out and they change their story. But that original story come out, it still was in people's minds that, yes, they captured a real flying saucer. So now people's awareness of these things are different. Then you have, um, what was it? The I can't remember what year it was where uh, Orson Welles did the War of the Worlds radio broadcast where everybody in New Jersey freaked completely out of their minds. They thought they really were being invaded by Martians in flying saucers. Okay? Then we go to now, in 2017, the New York Times, which never writes stories on UFOs. They did a whole section of their paper dealing with Government involvement in UFOs, exposing for the first time a program called ATIP, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, run by Luis Elizondo, who then resigned. And basically it showed that here we, here we got three uh, UFOs, one called the Tic Tac, one called the Gimbal, one called the Go Fast. They were taken at different times from different... Um, uh, different uh, aircraft, but they were showing video, basically these things doing maneuvers that we cannot do. That story goes out, and now people who were on the fringe of UFOs, now they're not on the fringe anymore because more people have jumped in and said, you know what, that looks like real. I think, it, I think they're real. Uh, and then, then a, a, a study goes out and is done, and it says that there are more Americans who believe in UFOs than, than believe in God. You see how we're shifting everybody's consciousness, raising everybody's awareness? And then we have David Grush, the whistleblower, who comes out and says, yes, we've got, we've got vehicles, we've got bodies, we've got everything here. Okay, so people's, there's an increase in it. 
You have an increase of paranormal events, the shadow people, familiar spirits, increase in photo and video evidence fueled by social media. Social media, whether it's TikTok or uh, Facebook or YouTube or whatever it is, or, or t- X. Was Twitter, now it's X. But basically, these videos get taken and then they get shared with everybody all over the world. And what it's doing is it's increasing everybody's awareness that there are paranormal things that cannot be explained by test tubes and, and microscopes and things like that. They are real. They just don't know exactly what they are. But they know they're real. And so mankind's awareness is being shifted. And what is the end goal of it? Well, let's go back. We started out in 2 Thessalonians 2. Let's end in 2 Thessalonians 2. Because when when the Apostle Paul said to not be deceived by any means, he knew what he was going to write after that. He knew he was going to tell people there's a reason why I don't want you to be deceived. Because a huge deception is coming. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God is going to allow this world to have their paradigm shifted and their ideas changed. And remember how the devil works. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul said, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity in Christ. He tells us to go back to Genesis to understand how the devil works. And when we look in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Now, let me explain this, okay? Let's say that this pen is the moon. You're going to go out at night and you're going to watch the moon, okay? Now, one of the things we know about the moon and the stars and the sun is that, well, you can't really stare at the sun unless you have adequate eye cover. But basically, from our our viewpoint, the moon moves so slow and the sun does too, that we can't perceive its movement. You can sit and watch the moon 
and never take your eyes off of it and you won't be able to detect its motion. Now, the whole time I've been saying this, I've been moving this pin, okay? Very, very slowly, okay? And maybe you can see it, maybe you can't. But the truth of it is, if we looked at the moon, let's say at 12 o'clock midnight, and then one o'clock, an hour later, we came back out and we looked at the moon. We would see it's in a different spot. And then we would deduce that, okay, the moon is moving. But the gradualism that Satan operates on is done so slowly that you never see it happen. And so, when it comes to deceiving people, he's good. Number one, yea hath God said. Doubt God's word. Number two, ye shall not surely die. Contradict God's word. Number three, for God doth know you shall be as gods. Offer man a different gospel. The next video that I make I'm going to share with you pastor's wife and the pastor who did exactly that. They changed their belief system. They changed the gospel. They, they turned in everything that they used to believe in and used to stand for. And they changed it and traded it over for a lie. And I've prayed for this family. I've prayed for this man. I've prayed for his wife. But I'll tell you, the run-in that I had with her, I wasn't prepared for. But they fell for, what was it that Paul said? They fell for the strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And they did. Maybe it's not too late. Maybe because of what they have learned from scriptures and the word of God, maybe one of these days God will bring them back. I hope he does. I really do. I hope he does. And I hope that every year that we go to MUFON, the people who take our videos and are given the truth of the word of God, realize that they're being fed a big pack of lies. It's very subtle lies, but they're lies nonetheless. And these lies are going to lead them to being part of the people that God sends strong delusion to. The only people not affected by this will be the saints of the living God. Because God says, Jesus told us, it wasn't possible to deceive the very elect. So I would just ask you today, what would you characterize yourself as? The truly elect of God that believes everything that the Bible says 
and you've built your whole life and your whole thought process on everything, on every word of God. And this book governs your life, it governs your philosophy, it governs your marriage, it governs your, your work, it governs everything about your life. Or are you out here in the wilderness of the UFO people and the paradigm shifters and the new age people and everything else? where all kinds of weird ideas come into play and they're telling you that all of these can be true. Basically, it's just set up to believe the lie. And I hope you don't believe it. This is Pastor Mike. I hope you've enjoyed today's lesson. I hope it's been uh, encouraging to you and uplifting to you. And I hope that you give heed to the warnings of the Word of God. We'll see you in the next video. Take care. Bye-bye.